Amen. So good. Always wild to be together. It's awesome to see more chairs filled and um, to see people getting excited about gathering, being together. Uh, what a time to be alive. What a time to be the church. I want to encourage you, um, sometimes you just need to lift your eyes a little bit beyond what you know and what is familiar, and you begin to pick up so quickly that what the Lord's doing across the nation of South Africa is wild. Um, we had the privilege last night of, of having dinner with the directors of Fire and Fragrance South Africa from Potchefstroom, and we were just connecting and just sharing and listening to story after story of what local churches and ministries and movements are doing in South Africa, our nation, that are commissioning and sending people into different spheres of influence. That, uh, you know, I heard one story of a man who works for the president's son in his company and is seeing literally supernatural signs and wonders in the business sphere. Um, God is moving in our country. He's moving in South Africa. Uh, we have to believe that because you can, you can hear all the bad news and the stuff that you choose to hear, but the reality is tune your ear to heaven, begin to listen to what the Lord's actually doing. Suddenly you realize we're in the midst of the greatest days that South Africa has ever seen. And it's not the greatest days because we have the greatest government. It's the greatest days because the kingdom of heaven is invading society. And South Africa has been called as a nation, not just to reach uh, Africa, but actually to be a sending nation to the ends of the earth. And if you study the history of South Africa, if you see revival upon revival upon revival, it's incredible. We begin to realize we were born as a multi-ethnic uh, people with so many different nationalities, tribes, tongues, languages. Isn't that incredible? That South Africa essentially in one nation is a picture of the dream of God. And that what he's going to do in this nation is a prototype. He's going to replicate and reproduce this across all of the earth. Awesome. So get excited. The Lord's doing amazing things. Um, there's just incredible partnerships. And the Lord's connecting us with people um, just with the same heart, same language, same desires, uh, same expressions. It's just really encouraging to see that now the Lord's chosen uh, to connect us with these people. And we're going to run together. And uh, I was so encouraged last night. Um, Gabriel, he said something to me that I, I haven't heard for a long time in, uh, in church or ministry leadership. And uh, he said to me, make friends, change the world. And he said, as long as we're running, we're going to see the kingdom of heaven advance. We're going to see amazing things. But we need to run. And sometimes what we do as Christians is we try and figure out what we need to do before we even start doing anything. And because we don't know what to do, we never move anywhere. And sometimes we need to learn that it's just relationships, friendships, connections, being family together, praying together, encouraging one another, blessing one another. It starts this momentum of beginning to move in the direction of the Spirit, and suddenly God begins to break out. I want to tell you the power of family is way beyond what we think. The, the importance of community, family, discipleship, connection, it's not just about you feeling like you belong somewhere, which is incredible. That's beautiful. But it's not just that. It's that when we do that, we spur one another on. There's an ignition that happens. There's something that begins to ignite in our hearts, and we begin to run. So I want to encourage you. God's doing amazing, amazing things. On, on Tuesday night, we drove through to Potchefstroom for a meeting that they were doing there, and um, it was so profoundly powerful uh, in Potchefstroom, just, I mean, this is like, what happens in Poch? Um, apparently good pancakes and stuff according, to, and milkshakes and all that according to Rob's. But we were there, and there was about 600 people uh, packed into this little church. Uh, we actually had to sit in the overflow, they call it overflow, but it was, we were sitting outside um, <clears throat> with a little speaker and some chairs. Um, but the reality is, I was just blown away 
by what yes to Jesus can look like. By how you just say yes to Him and you obey Him no matter the cost. And He'll move in situations, circumstances and places that you wouldn't even dream of these things happening. And uh, so when we were there, I just felt so refreshed, so encouraged by the Lord. And I felt such clarity uh, just in that space. And, and it came over us. And, um, and I looked at this, these group of people that were running. And I said, Lord, what did, what did these crazy people catch that they're just jumping, diving into impossible situations with such joy and just seeing explosions of your kingdom? What did they catch? And the Lord just said to me, just one thing, yes. Just one thing, yes. Not, not the song, not the prayer, not, no, the actual yes in their heart of, Lord, no matter the cost, whatever you want, I'll do it. I'm in. I'll lose everything if I need to lose everything. I'll gain everything if I need to gain everything. But you must have my yes. And when God takes a yes like that, I promise you, it, is, he, it goes way beyond what we could do in the natural, way beyond what we could imagine, think of, or dream. And it's the dream of God. That's why we're alive. And so we were there and just so stirred, so encouraged, um, and just such clarity. But something that the Lord spoke to me about, it's been on my heart since then, just unpacking, is uh, <clears throat> the word that came, a prophetic word that came during that time on Tuesday was that we are in a hinge moment. And if you picture a hinge, it's this turning moment, right? And it's a shift of momentum. It's a shift of direction. It's a shift of a few things, right? And I believe it's prophetic of, of a, a couple different things. One of them is that we've come into a new era and a door is closing on what once was and is opening on what is going to be in the kingdom. And I believe that there's been grace and mercy from the Lord upon the church. He's given us time to open our eyes, open our ears, open our hearts, come in humility, realize that there needs to be a letting go so that we can take a hold of the new wine that He's pouring out. It's not to disqualify or say that, that what has happened in the past is wrong. Jesus still loves the old wine and the old wineskin that's been poured out. He was in all of it, but now there's new wine that's being poured out and there must be a new wineskin. It does not discredit the old, it just awakens us to the new. We're building upon what He's done in the past. And so we're in this hinge moment, and this resonated with me, and I thought, wow, I can feel this. If I think about the people in our community that I disciple and journey with and spend time with, we're all in this hinge place, this hinge moment where you can feel a shifting, you can feel a turning, and you have to make a decision in your heart. Are you going to stay or are you going to move in Him? Are you with me? You can feel it. Am I going to stay here? Yes, there's beautiful things that have happened and there's memories and there's altars and they're all there to glorify the Lord, but he's, there's a shift that's coming. And he's saying, in the shift, you are not abandoning, forgetting, or forsaking this. You're just allowing me to move you forward in the momentum of the Holy Spirit. We cannot stay comfortable. We have to begin to move in the newness of what he's doing. We have to allow our perspectives to shift to an eternal one because when we begin to think with eternity in mind, it's no longer about what we have in the moment, but it's about what we're living towards. Are you with me? Okay. And so I was praying about this and saying, Lord, we're in this hinge moment in our own family's life. And Jess and I was like, we go, wow, we see, we recognize a moment of tension. I don't know how many of you in the room can feel in your life there's like a little bit of tension. This is, this is different. Maybe, maybe a lot of tension. Um, you know, you go, Sheesh, maybe the rope's starting to snap a little bit. And that's okay. I want to say to you, maybe the tension is because you're holding on too tight. Are you with me? The tension in the pool is because God's actually moving you and you're going, no. Let that thing snap. 
and begin to trust in Him and come into a freedom that's way beyond your understanding. And we're going to talk about that a little bit this morning. But the Lord spoke to me and He said, Con, I've given believers, I've given churches, I've given 24-7, I've given the leadership of 24-7 vision, vision of the kingdom, vision of how to run. In your life, the Lord has given you vision of what it means to be a Christian, what it means. If you don't have vision, seek the Lord. Get the vision of the gospel, the vision of the kingdom, the vision of the dream of God, the purpose of life. Get it in you, right? He gives us vision, but He said to me, we can have vision that's birthed in our spirit, man, because it's one with Holy Spirit. We're in perfect union and oneness and completeness in Him. And so we get the vision of God in our spirit, man. But it's, it's the heart of man that carries it. Are you with me? It's the heart of man that carries it. And I believe the heart of man is where your soul and your spirit commune. And so what we have is a lot, especially I can look at my generation and go, we catch the vision quick. I think you've got two spectrums. You've got one, a younger generation coming through that catch the vision quick. And it's like, wow, that's wild. Let's just do that and have no idea how to carry it. And then you've got an older generation who have known that vision for a while, carried it for a long time, and haven't been good stewards of their heart. And so they're tired. And I put my hand up, but it's not just an age thing, it's a journey thing. And I can feel, even as a young man growing up, I can feel that tension, that journey of the, the vision comes alive in your heart, but if you don't know how to steward your heart, suddenly you begin to get tired. And I want to talk to us today about stewarding our heart because it's the heart that is the carrier of vision and purpose in our lives. If we don't know how to steward a healthy heart in our lives, then we cannot carry the vision and purpose of life with longevity and sustainability and a consistency that goes from glory to glory. We'll get tired, we'll get discouraged, disappointed, and suddenly we begin to fall back on things instead of moving forward in what God's called us to do. Suddenly we begin to become attached to things that God's trying to set us free from. Are you with me? A.W. Tozer, one of my favorite authors, he said this. He said, The neglected heart will soon be a heart overrun with worldly thoughts, and the neglected life will soon become a moral chaos. There's an importance that we have to understand as believers of how to steward. I didn't say control. I didn't say govern. I didn't say be Lord of your heart, shepherd your heart. You can't do any of those things. That's the Holy Spirit. But He's entrusted you as a steward as to where you will position your heart and what you will feed your heart and what you will allow to flow from your heart. Are you with me? And so Proverbs 3, verse 5 and 6 says this, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. Let's say that again. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. Lean not. I'm going to show you how I read the Bible. Lean not on your own understanding. Lean not on your own understanding. Lean not. Lean not. No lean. <laughs> That's my grand. <laughs> lean not. What does that mean? Lean not, rely not, depend not on your own understanding. How, what's the first step in our hearts and lives to making sure we steward a healthy heart in our lives is to make sure we are not relying, we are not dependent on our own understanding of what we're in. The first 
point of deception in our hearts is when we start to try and figure it out in our own understanding. Because when we begin to do that, what we see speaks louder than what He is. And so when what we see speaks louder than who Jesus is to us, we stop trusting Him and we start trusting ourselves and our own understanding and knowledge. And so we begin to rely and depend on what we think is actually going on. But the reality is you don't know how to see much further than your own nose. So all you can see is what you've decided is this effective uh, or, or the, the effects and things that are dictating uh, what's happening in your life. But the reality is you're looking no further than your own situation. And the answers to what we're going through are not found in, in our own, within our own horizons. The answers to what you're going through are not found within your own horizon. You have to lift up your head, O your gates. Be opened up, your ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. When He becomes our vision, when we begin to see what He sees, which is the dream of God, which is way beyond your situation, what you are struggling with, what you need to go through, when you stop getting so wrapped up in yourself and you begin to see His dream, you find the answers and the solutions to what you're walking. The answer is not in your situation. That's an important thing to, to say this morning. The solution, the answer to what you are going through right now is not in your situation. So why do you look for it there? And I say you, we. So it says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to Him and He will make your paths straight. So when we trust Him with all our hearts, when we stop leaning on our own understanding, we come to a, a place where we, when you trust the Lord, you, you make a decision to posture your heart in submission to Him. Where we yield. And we just give it to Him. We submit. It's yours. It's not mine. It's yours. I'm not inviting you to speak into this. I'm giving it to you. There's a difference. Are you with me? There's a difference between, Lord, I invite you to speak to me about what I'm going through versus, Lord, it's yours. That's submission. Submit, uh, in all your ways, submit to Him, and He will make your path straight. What is, what's, what is straight? Straight means you're going somewhere, it's focused, it's intentional. A straight path leads you somewhere quickly, directly, and effectively. So the most effective thing you can do for your life is to trust Him and submit everything to Him. And not try and figure it out. Ben Fitzgerald said something recently. He said, um, lovers work harder than workers. They see more fruit than workers, lovers. That messes with us a little bit. See, lovers know how to abide. And in John 15, those who abide are going to bear much fruit. That's, that's a powerful thing. Lovers get more fruit than workers. They get more work done, lovers. Lovers do. You with me? In Romans 10.10, 10, it says, For with the heart one believes and is justified. So we know that the heart, this place of communion with the spirit and the soul, is where we cultivate faith, where we make a decision to believe. It's, let's call it the faith engine. That's where the faith engine is, right? So don't you think if that's where the faith engine is, where our, our decisions, our believing, and our faith exists, then the health of that environment is really important because that's where the direction of my life and what comes from my life is going to flow from. Are you with me? Yeah. Proverbs 4.23, Keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. It makes sense if that's where faith comes. 
If your faith comes from there, if that's where the decision to believe, to trust Jesus, if that's where it all goes on, then it makes sense that it's a pretty important place to learn how to protect, steward, and cultivate for the purposes of the Holy Spirit and the kingdom of God flowing from our lives. In fact, it words it, for from it flow the springs of life. In other words, you're called in God to be a life giver, but you can't be a life giver if you don't learn how to steward your heart. Philippians 4, 7, And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding. How many of you are getting it? It's not understanding, right? Lean not on your own understanding. This peace that you're going to get from Jesus surpasses your understanding. Your little, puny, tiny brain cannot comprehend what God's about to do. So don't rely on it. The peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. John 14.1, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. It's a healthy heart that carries the vision and purpose of life with longevity and consistency. Let's talk about what the obstacles to a healthy heart are. Are you okay? Is everybody with me? I believe these four or five things, five things, in fact, it's four things that lead to the fifth. But I believe these things are what happens if we don't learn how to steward a healthy heart. The first thing, and you will recognize this because you will know this feeling. When we're not stewarding our hearts, when we're not living in that place of simplicity, trusting in the Lord with all our heart, leaning not on our own understanding, submitting to Him. If we're not living in that space, the first thing that will often set in is disappointment. And disappointment is an interesting thing. Because essentially, disappointment disappoints you from what you're called to do. And so what happens is, if we're not trusting in the Lord with all our heart, and suddenly our understanding begins to speak a little bit louder, and we begin to lean on it, we suddenly feel disappointed. We feel disappointed from what we're called to do. Because our experiences begin to speak louder to us than the Word of the Lord in our lives. And, and the moment we become disappointed, we start to disqualify ourselves from what we're called to do in that moment, and discouragement sets in. And discouragement, essentially, is when you get to a place where you no longer believe you have what it takes to do what He's called you to do. Or, you don't believe that the people around you or what God's put in your life is enough for what He's called you to do. And so you lose courage to run. You lose courage to follow. You slowly begin to give up. And once you're disappointed and discouraged, you open up your heart to be deceived. And deception sets in. Now you're disappointed. Now you're discouraged. Suddenly the lies become very real and they start to make sense. And so now the lies are speaking really loud. You're listening to them. You're leaning on your understanding. And now those lies sound more realistic than what the Lord's saying. So you start to question the voice of the Lord and you start to think, well, this kind of makes more sense. That must be the reality of where I'm at. And so the lies begin to shape you and dictate who you are, how you feel, and what you're going to do about it. So we're disappointed, discouraged, deceived, and that leads us to a place of doubt. 
where now we doubt whether we even heard God in the first place. This is real, right? How many of you can relate to this? Suddenly, you're disappointed, you're discouraged, now you're deceived, there's just so much stuff, so many voices, and suddenly you begin to doubt whether what I heard in the first place was even God. Maybe I'm just absolutely crazy and I just missed the whole thing. How many of you have felt that? Come on, let's be real. It can be in the smallest things in our life, but we eventually start to go, I don't even think I hear God anymore. And what it leads to is suddenly you get people, is God even real? Where is God? Is He even in my life? What's He even been doing? It's a sick heart. So when you're disappointed, discouraged, deceived, and doubting, it finally, all the, the culmination of those four things lead to one thing, and it's called sorrow. And let me tell you about sorrow. Sorrow is essentially where unbelief thrives. Because sorrow is when you get to a place of totally giving up. When you get to a place of, of confusion, I don't understand, I can't figure this out. And I want to say this, in Luke, it says that the disciples in the Garden of Gethsemane fell asleep while Jesus was praying. And it says they fell asleep for sorrow. Sorrow puts you to sleep. It numbs you to the dream of God. It numbs you to the moment that you're in. The disciples were with Jesus, were invited into the greatest hour in history, and they fell asleep because all that they could hear in their ears was Jesus saying, I'm going to die. They didn't hear, I'm going to die, and three days later, I'm going to be raised from the dead, and we're going to continue, and I'm going to bring you into something that's way beyond what you can understand right now. No, they didn't hear that. All they heard was, he's going to die. Our king, the one who we thought was going to come and totally change everything and, and get rid of the Romans and all this, oh no, he's going to die now. So can you imagine what was going through their heads? What did we just do for the last three years? What, what am I even doing here? Why am I... Why am I here with him? What, what's, if he's just going to die, what, why, who am I following? What, can you imagine? They're disappointed. In that moment, they're not being who Jesus has called them to be. They've disappointed themselves from that moment. They're not the prayer support that Jesus invited them to be in that moment. They've disappointed themselves. They're discouraged. They don't have the courage to stand with Jesus anymore. They're deceived because they, they're not hearing what Jesus is saying. They're hearing what their understanding is saying. I thought you were going to get rid of the Romans and bring the kingdom. Now you're saying you're going to die. In the meantime, Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. So they weren't hearing the word of the Lord anymore. They were deceived. They began to doubt and they fell asleep for sorrow. Sorrow puts you to sleep. It puts your heart to sleep. You become dead to the things of God, dead to those things. And God needs to resurrect and awaken you in that place. So what are the keys to stewarding a healthy heart? I want to encourage you and say that stewarding a healthy heart is a lot more simple than recognizing the obstacles. So I just gave you a couple of obstacles. That's five. Stewarding your heart is way easier. Yay. I want to encourage you, stewarding your heart is not a seven-step difficult process, figuring out of how, not to, how to avoid the four Ds and the one S that Connor just mentioned. and What was the formula again? What was the obstacles? And how do I? Uh, it's not that at all. I'm just explaining to you what happens in your heart. Those, those points are just a heart process. It's a heart journey that happens. But stewarding your heart is real simple. We said in the beginning, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. <laughs> Lean not on your own understanding. Submit to Him in all your ways, and He will make your path straight, right? But I want to get real practical. John 10, 3-5 talks about how the sheep hear the shepherd's voice and they follow him for they know his voice. First thing is you need to understand you're designed to know him, hear him, and follow him. 
You are made for that. So when you, when you begin to believe this, suddenly you stop doubting whether you hear God or not and just believe that you do. That's the first step. Just start there. Just start there and go, I am a son or a daughter of God, and I am called to hear Him. And so I have been created with everything I need to hear His voice, to obey and follow Him. It makes it simple. It brings it back to just the simplicity of hear Him, obey, follow. Right? But I want to, I want to hit something here that I think it's, the Lord's been doing this in my heart. And I think I really trust that He would liberate you today in this. And then I'm, I'm going to try and provoke you, encourage you, inspire you a little bit and get you pumped up to run out of this building and change the world. Okay. So one of the, the, the key things that really throws our heart all over the place, if you want the key to a turbulent life, attach your identity to what you do. If, you want, if, you, if, you want to, if you're really seeking a turbulent life, then what you really want to do is attach your identity to what you do. Because suddenly, if our identity, let me word it this way, if our, if our identity is connected to our assignment, a couple things happen. One, when it gets challenging, so does your identity. When things get difficult, you become turbulent. You're not sure what the heck is going on, who you are, why are my emotions, I'm all over the place, I'm just rocked. <laughs> right? So if we don't learn to disconnect our identity from our current assignment then we, we get stuck and we live these turbulent lives. I want to say it like this. If you don't disconnect your identity from your current assignment, when God wants to give you a new one, you can't hear Him. <laughs> Are you with me? Can, I, can, can we break a lie over our lives today? Okay. How many of you in this room are so intensely passionate about finding the will of God for your life, the call of God for your life, and making sure you do not walk out of that will. Amen, right? That's a good thing. That's beautiful, sincere hearts. Like, everybody probably feels that way. You just were too embarrassed to lift up your hand. And that's okay. Freedom. But here's the thing. Somewhere, we got this idea that every single one of us have this one thing in your life that you are called to do. One thing. And if you miss it, you miss the whole thing. And so we've got a whole bunch of Christians looking for that one thing, and they're not sure, am I, can I, ooh, have I missed it? Let me go back. I'll just line myself up. And you've got these Christians that are turbulent, freaking out. Is this the thing? I don't know if I can do that. I don't know if I can. Are you with me? I don't know if I'm in the will of God. I think I've missed it. What's God called me to do? I don't know. And then you've got young people coming. I don't know what God's called me to do. Should I study? I don't know. Is that the call of God for my life? Maybe I should just, you know what? Yeah, I think he wants me to be a pastor. Let's just all be pastors. That's the safest bet. Right? I want to just, I want to set you free today and say this. Every single one of us in this room are called to the exact same thing. There is only one call of God. One. Are you ready for it? To know Jesus intimately, personally, and to make Him known in everything that we do. One call. That's it. Now here's where I want to set you free even more. The call of God is set. But He gives you assignments. But I want to encourage you. You do not get one assignment in your life. You're probably going to get about 50. Are you with me? 
Because then we go, okay, yeah, I know my purpose is to know him and make him known. But I've got an assignment, and this assignment is to do this one thing. And then we attach our identity to this assignment, and when God's finished with it, we can't hear him to move forward into what's next. Are you with me? My identity is connected to my assignment, and so when God wants to change the assignment, I've shut him out, I can't hear him because I'm so found in this assignment instead of being found in the person of Jesus. See, in, in Ephesians 4, it talks about equipping the saints for the work of the ministry. That's the ministry of Jesus expressed in your life in a way that only you can express. You get equipped to release the ministry of Jesus in the assignments and the expressions that you were created to release on the earth. That's why we cannot have a whole generation that all want to be pastors. Out of the 12 tribes of Israel, one of them were Levites. One tribe were priests. The rest were not. Why? Because there's a group of people that God ordains and calls to equip the saints for what? For actually being able to invade and go out there and bring the ministry of Jesus into those places. Let me give you an example. I'll use um, Michelle, Gabriel's wife, last night. She said something so cool. She said, the missionary is not going to get to my CEO. She's a lawyer. She says, the missionary won't make it past the secretary at the entrance. So who's going to get the CEO? So now she's a lawyer, and how's this? she shares this beautiful testimony of how she was absolutely verbally abused, and this guy hated Jesus and hated everything about Christianity, would try and put this pressure on her, and made the couple of years that she worked there a living hell. But she stood her ground. She said, Lord, I know I'm called to you. I'm called to love this guy. When he was out, she would go into his office and just pray in tongues and release Holy Spirit. She'd pretend she's looking for files, you know, but just be praying in the Spirit, releasing. Until one day, out of nowhere, she gets called into the office, and he says, I really think you should share your testimony with me. And she goes, oh, let me look for that file. Whose testimony? And she's looking for that because she thinks it's some law thing. And he's going, no, no, your testimony. I want to know your testimony. And after years and years and years of just being what? A good lawyer. A spirit-filled, Jesus-loving, worshipping lawyer who's doing her job with excellence, shining Jesus. After years and years, suddenly the moment comes where he says, I think you should share your testimony. You with me? So you're going to get assignments in your life. And, and what you need to do is make sure you do not connect your identity to those assignments. Because if he, if he assigns it to you today and wants to give you a new one tomorrow, is your identity in the person of Jesus so that the ministry of Jesus can flow from you. Because here's the thing. The assignments of God don't define you as a person. They serve you. They serve you and they serve others. Because Jesus isn't coming back for your assignment. He's coming back for you, a son or a daughter. And when you stand in heaven, you will not be known as Connor the pastor or Robin the writer. You're just going to be known as a son or daughter. And so if we understand that assignments are given to us to serve the dream of God, we find the solutions to our struggles because we're no longer attached to this current assignment. I'm living for the big dream. Which means when things are maybe, for example, sometimes we look at things and we call them these massive storms and just things are falling apart and there's just nothing makes sense, nothing's working, where is God? I think He's moved on to another assignment and you're still playing around with something that's finished. Now I'm not saying that that means every time you, there's hardship that you just go, yeah, move on. Hear what I'm saying. Sometimes there's, there's journeys and, and you've got to push through. 
And you've got, to, you've got to fight for what the Lord said, and you've got to obey Him. It's all about obedience and relationship. But there's so many things in our lives that we are holding on to so tightly, fighting for this one thing because our identity is so tied to it. I don't know who I am without it. And God's going, no, you're actually a son. You're a daughter. I've got so many things that I've called you to fulfill, so many ways that you're going to serve the dream of God. And I need you to be liberated in the person of Jesus, that you're so secure in Him, that He really is your provider, that your assignment isn't your provider. Well, right now I'm called to be a teacher, and it's really rough and it sucks so much, but I have to keep doing it because I get paid. And so what we do is we just stay in the same thing because this is where I get paid. It's just so tight and difficult and hard, and there's just no life and no flow, and I don't know what's happening, and... And there's either one of two things that's happening in that moment. One, either you need to get a fresh perspective on the dream of God and start realizing why you're there. Disconnect your identity from this assignment. Start finding yourself in Jesus and start serving His dream. Suddenly you're liberated from all of that. He's your source. He's your provider. He, he's everything that you need. You're now secure and free to love Jesus in your assignment and see the glory of God come. Right? That's the one thing. Or the second thing is God might have actually decided He's moving you to a new assignment and you just can't let the thing go. And so you're so exhausted trying to figure this thing out. And God's saying, I've moved you. I, I'm, I'm, trust me. Trust me. See, intimacy and a Holy Spirit transformation and infilling is our daily goal and purpose. The end goal of our Christianity cannot be an expression of the ministry of Jesus only in a congregational expression or way. So what we've got now is like when we think of the ministry of Jesus, we think, well, then God must have called me to be a pastor or to be a missionary or to be all these different things. But the ministry of Jesus is supposed to invade every single aspect of society, and He's going to call you and, and position you in places where He trusts you with the ministry of reconciliation. And that's where you've got to be so clear that you're defined by the person of Jesus and free to do the assignment as an expression of who Christ is in you. Let that thing serve who Jesus is in your life, not you chasing after that thing to feel significant. Are you with me? If you took it all away and it was just you and Jesus, is it enough? So I say this because I was so encouraged um, last night just by one thing that jumps in my head now, one thing that was said. You know, how many of you, if, if you're, a, how many people here are in some sort of business sphere, right? You're in business, you work in a business, you own a business, a lot of you, right? How many of you are in some sort of education, training, teaching, something like that in the back there? How many of you are in the medical field? Yeah, there we go. Um, you could, you could plug in your sphere, whatever it is that God's called you to do, right? Have you ever asked the Lord to show you what He believes about what you do? Have you ever asked the Lord to show you what He believes about what you do? So if you're a teacher... Have you ever asked the Lord what He believes about education? 
Because if you've been entrusted with an assignment in education, you want to make sure you've got the expression of his dream in that sphere. What does God believe about education? Because that's what I'm here to bring. Do you see the, do you see the shift and the change? So the, the works of, of Jesus, the ministry of Jesus, it is 100% yes Signs, wonders, miracles, preaching the gospel, all of that. But I want to say this. If you are a Christian, you will do that naturally. If you're a Christian and you have a personal relationship with Jesus, it will well up inside of you. If you have Holy Spirit, you will not be able to contain yourself. You will want to preach the gospel, share your testimony, pray for the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, cast out demons. Why? Because freely you've received and so freely you want to give. That's called Christianity, right? The problem is we make that the ministry and so then it's like, I can't actually do the assignment or the sphere of influence that I've been called to. I can't actually be a teacher because I need to be doing those things. And what we've done, this is so powerful, what we've done is we've taken the value off of what God's given you to do and not realized that that's actually really important to the Lord and He makes it holy. And He creates an environment for you to take the ministry of Jesus and release it and live it in that sphere, in that assignment for as long as He tells you to. So what we have is people that go, I really want to be wild and radical for Jesus. And so I think I need to just quit my job, get out of all the worldly stuff, cut it all out of my life, and just come and just be at the church every day and just love Jesus. Now I want to tell you, one out of 12 are probably called to that. Because the reality is, how are we going to get equipped and stirred and encouraged if we don't have people devoted to the Word, devoted to prayer, giving their time and their lives to making sure that the church is staying in position and alignment with what the Lord's doing and His dream on the earth. We need the fivefold and the shepherds and the leaders that God's equipped to do that. But 97% of the church are called to invade society with the gospel. That the ministry of Jesus, signs, wonders, miracles... All of the stuff that we're talking about, the Christian life is meant to be lived where you have been placed right now. Your assignment in the Lord. And that assignment doesn't shape you or define you. Your identity is not there, which means you're free. And if you're free, then you can truly love. Are you with me? See, if your identity is in it, when somebody rocks your boat a little bit by saying maybe, hey, you're a bad teacher. <laughs> Sorry, Gab. <laughs> I'm not saying that. But, but if they say, hey, are you? And they challenge what you do, you get rocked because your identity is in it. But if you're free, then you recognize this is just my vehicle to love Jesus and love people and bring the ministry of reconciliation, the ministry of Jesus to this place. That actually, let me say this. I had a, a, a prophetic word for 24-7 in, in uh, 2019, and I read it again this morning, and I could not believe it. I was just so encouraged. But I believe, and I'm going to say this in the context of business, but you can, you can apply it to every single area that you're called to. I believe this. This is what the Lord said. I'll read the whole thing just now, but just this one line. Businesses will become fruitful when they become secondary to the essential purpose of bringing souls to Jesus. What happens when you see your business or your job or whatever it is that God, the assignment God's given you right now? What happens when you see it as a vehicle for souls? Do you not think God will provide abundantly for that kind of mission and mandate? Do you not think supernatural business happens when it's about the dream of God and not about being prosperous and wealthy? So essentially, you get to be ridiculously blessed, prosperous, and wealthy because you didn't pursue wealth and prosperity, you pursued souls. 
I've shared this story before. Ben and I talk about it all the time. There was a, a lady in China who God asked her to start this business. She wanted to be called to ministry. He said, no, you're going to start this business. <gasps> no way. God said that? Yeah. God said, don't go to ministry. Start a business. She starts a business. This business booms. God blesses it. She has a thousand people working under her. God says, I want you to build a throne in the middle of your business, this big building, this factory. And so she's like, a throne? He says, yep, a chair and everything, massive throne, build the thing right in the middle of your business. So what does she do? She builds a throne. And she puts speakers there and have worship music. And she says, at any time in your day, while you're working with all these thousands of people in the offices, you can come to this throne at any time of day and worship the King of Glory, Jesus Christ, because He is the CEO of this business. That's what she did, right? And so the CEO of the business is sitting on the throne in the center of the business, and the people are working, and they can come at any time of day and worship Jesus. And she said her business skyrocketed in terms of profit and blessing and abundance and influence. It tripled in size. God began to open doors internationally for them. It was just the most wild and crazy story of somebody. And this is, this is what she said. She said when she prayed about her business and the thousand people under her, the Lord said, do you not see that this is your congregation? Now, here's a lady who's submitted to local church, passionate, loves, serves her local church, but she knows that actually from Monday to Friday, I'm not going to be at that church building. But I've been called to make disciples in my sphere of influence, and God has trusted me with the ministry of Jesus to this sphere. So I'm going to bring Him glory, and I'm going to see many people saved and healed and transformed and come into the kingdom. It's, it's wild. That's radical Christianity. You're not radical just because you go to the nations, although I'll touch on that in a second. You're radical because you follow Jesus and what He's called you to do. And I want to say this. The title businessman is just, it's leaving. The title of, of, of uh, uh, you know, I'm not called to, to ministry, I'm called to, you are all called to full-time ministry. That's why the, the role of, the, of these meetings is to equip you for the work of the ministry. If you were not in full-time ministry, what are we doing equipping you? Right? So you're, 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 you are called to be full-time ministers in spheres of influence, okay? And there's coming a time now where we'll see it, where you can be the most effective, gifted, talented, prosperous, and abundant person in that sphere of influence, whether it's business, teaching, the arts, media, all those different things. You can be the most successful person, and God could say to you, I want you to give it up today and go to another assignment tomorrow, and you'd follow him. And I want to say this to you. We, we, we'll agree to it because we go, yes, I agree to that because surely God's not going to do that. I promise you, he's going to do it more and more. You're going to get a fright with what you hear in the secret place. You're going to see in this end time harvest and revival, you're going to see multi-millionaires give it up in a day. You're going to see it. Sow it. Sell it. You know, I hope I can use this as an example, bro, but I was so touched. We were moving into um, one of Ben's house that he's renting to us, but he said something to me the other day that grabbed me, and they've been really making it so amazing and just spoiling us. And, uh, and he said to me, you know, when he was praying, uh, he felt the Lord say, well, if Jesus was moving in, what would you do? That rocked me. Imagine we love each other like that. Imagine we love people like that. Imagine in your business, you love people like that. In your teaching, you love people like that. In whatever it is that you do, even if you're at home and you're, you're just looking after your children and your spouse, imagine that's the way we live. Well, if I was doing it for Jesus, what would I do? See, I'm telling you now, like what we heard last night, I was so encouraged. When we see, it sounds biblical, doesn't it? 
When we see lawyers that are not ashamed to be lawyers, that don't, they think, I can't be radical for Jesus because I'm a lawyer. That's, we've got to break that. No, we need lawyers that are spirit-filled, on fire, rocking for Jesus, bringing the ministry of Jesus into that sphere at the cost of even losing their job because they know it's an assignment, not a job. Are you with me? I can't go and tell my boss that Jesus loves him when the Lord told me to do it because I might lose my job. Well, is it a job or an assignment? Are you there for souls or are you there for money? Because the reality is, if, if you're found in Jesus, and He's your source, and He's your provider, the job doesn't matter anyway. You know that you're there for the people in that job. And in order to reach those people, you actually need a good reputation of someone who does it excellently because you represent Jesus. Why, do I, why, am, I, why am I not just a lawyer? I'm a good lawyer. I'm a good lawyer because I'm here to represent Jesus. And I've got Holy Spirit in my life who's going to make me do things on another level that in the natural people can't even compete with. And they're not competing with me. They're competing with Christ in me, the hope of glory. And they can have Him too. If they, want. they need to come to me and say, what is it with you? You're crazy, dude. You're making it difficult for everyone else because you're just so good at what you do. I have to tell you, it's not me. And you can have it too. Discipleship 101. You with me? I don't know how I got there when I was preaching on stewarding the heart. But if you steward your heart, this is what happens, right? Now, this is the thing. We've got these camps in the church, and I feel like the Lord's just pegged me right in between the two of them, and it's really uncomfortable. One side, we've got just under 3.2 billion people who have never heard His name, right? That's 40, just over 42% of, of the earth's population that haven't had an opportunity to accept or reject Him. They don't even know who He is. One camp. We've got some people who just stay in this camp and go, everybody needs to quit their jobs, sell their stuff, and get to the 1040 window, because if we don't get to the 1040 window, these people are going to die without Jesus. True statement. Then you've got people in this one. We've got enough missionaries and people talking about nations and all this stuff. Everybody just wants to go to the nations. We need more people in business. <laughs> we've got a buttload of people in business. Come on, let's be honest. Not a buttload, sorry, it's church. Um, <laughs> We've got a lot of people in business. If I was to ask you now, how many of you are full-time missionaries for the gospel? Right, but you know what I mean. No, the reality is you, you're in business and you're in your sphere of influence. So majority of the church are in that space. We know that. So we've got these two camps and we've got people making it one or the other when it's both. Every single one of you are called to have a moment with God regularly where you ask the question, am I meant to go? But every single day, wherever He placed you, you are meant to bring the kingdom of heaven in everything that you do. And today you might be assigned to be a lawyer, and tomorrow you might be assigned to do missions. And I'm going to use Michelle, the lawyer from last night again, because she rocked me with this. She said she worked extra Saturdays for months and months and months. She said to her boss, give me Saturdays. I need to work a whole bunch of Saturdays because I want a month off. Why? I need to go to the 1040 window and preach the gospel to people who don't know Him. And God never said that I was allowed to go and move there, so I want to give him at least a month. Do you see the difference? I'm not saying, well, I'm not a part of that camp. I'm a, I'm a business prosperity guy. No, you're called to just bring the kingdom of Jesus and everything that you do and make sure that you're regularly asking the question about 42% of the population who don't know him. And whether it's a weekend, a month, or a year, or two years, or whether it's a whole lifetime, we're called to ask that question.
But the reality is when the marriage happens between these two things, what we see is a church that's living 24-7 Christianity. See, the church 24-7 doesn't happen just because we have 24-7 prayer rooms and worship, which we will have. But that's not what we're talking about. 24-7 church is because we, the church, are living as the church 24-7, 365, year after year after year until Jesus comes. So I'm saying to you today, tennis coach, it's valuable. Teacher, it's valuable. Businessman, it's valuable. Housewife, it's valuable. It's the kingdom of heaven. Stop comparing yourself and start obeying the Lord and the assignment that He's given you. Recognize what He's saying and make sure that your identity is not connected to your assignment, but that you're following Jesus, found in Him, secure in Him. And I have to emphasize this, what I said in the beginning. The answer to your current situation, because I know, I know, every single person in this room is in a situation. You know it. It's a situation. You look at it and you go, that's the one thing that just weighs on me. The answer to your situation is not in your situation. It's in the dream of God. And when you stop trying to serve your assignment and start trying to serve the dream of God and realize assignments serve that dream, you find the answers because they're not in you, they're in Him. Are you with me? I really pray we get this. this is, I'm preaching to myself today. This is what the Lord's been saying so strongly in my heart. Because if we learn to be good stewards of our heart, we'll be good stewards of the assignments that He's called us to do. And we will all live in the call of God, the dream of God for our lives. Every moment of every day. We won't be a people that are tossed to and fro, turbulent. You know, what we had this morning is so powerful. But what I felt in my spirit is like, so what happens tomorrow? Because let's not be a people that come on a Sunday and get fired up and go for it. And we and we can get like, because it is, it's, it's happening. You feel the fire of the Holy Spirit in the room and you get like, I'll run through a brick wall today, right? I'm just ready. I'm like, nothing else matters. I'll die right here. You can crucify me for Jesus right here. I'm, I'm in, right? I get like that. I promise you, you want to send me to the hardest places after a Sunday morning here 24-7. That's when, that's when I need to go and get on the flight that goes to Afghanistan because then I'm fired up. But what happens on Monday morning and Tuesday morning and Wednesday morning when life starts to get a little bit turbulent? Do you get turbulent with life? Because then your identity is in what you're doing. If your identity is in Jesus, you can live from glory to glory consistently into Him, living towards Him in the midst of what you're going through. And then you suddenly find supernatural answers and solutions that you need in those moments, and it's not coming from your situation. And there's some of you today, you're in assignment and God's placed you there. And it's difficult because you didn't realize that God placed you there. Now that you know you've been placed there by God, you can put your identity in Him, realize what you're in, and start serving the kingdom, serving the dream of God, and bringing the ministry of Jesus where you are. And you keep listening to Him, and you keep asking that question about the 42%. Because you're either one of three things, a goer, a sender, or disobedient. That's it. You're either going, or you're sending, or you're disobedient. So that question is being asked every day in the quiet, secret place with Jesus. But that, just because I might not be called to do that, or to, to, to go, I'm here and I'm going in, in my everyday life. I'm a missionary, a sent one, in all that God's called me to do. Right? We have to live like this. And when we do that, we see the value of God on the assignments that He's given us. And it equips us and encourages us, gives us strength 
to do those things without questioning whether I can be radical or not for Jesus. And you steward your heart. And there's some of you here today that have been in those seasons, been in that, that place of looking at your assignment and you didn't realize that God put you there. And so you've been wrestling with, I want to be radical for Jesus, but I have to do this every day. And God's going like, I've called you to be radical for Jesus in this every day. You with me? There's others of you that are holding on to assignments that the Lord is moving you on from. And suddenly, you start to look at it and you go, but I don't know what to do if I don't do this thing. I don't know who I am. I don't know how I'm going to... What does life look like? And God's going, Proverbs 3, 5 and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to Him and He will make your paths straight. You know, if He, if, if he said it and we believe it, what does that look like when there's transition happening in your life? When you're in that hinge moment and the momentum is shifting? What do we do? Are you tied to your assignment? Or are you free in Jesus to simply obey and follow Him? Are you with me? Can I, I'll end with this. I'll, we, we're four minutes over time, so I'll just quickly read this. Um, it's a prophetic word that I got from the Lord on the 17th of February, 2019. Listen to this. Think about what we've just been through the last two years and all this kind of stuff. 24-7 church is a prototype of and for the new wine end time church. I'll say that again. 24-7 church is a prototype of and for the new wine end time church. That's you. I was pretty excited when I read that, but that's awesome. Cool. <laughs> I will use the foolish things to confound the wise and the broken things made new to build my mighty church. These are not broken vessels. They are living expressions of newness of life. I am transitioning the mindset of my church from gather to invade. Not that they should stop gathering, but that their gatherings would provoke and inspire a divine invasion across the earth that will bring in the greatest harvest the world has ever seen. Not that we stop gathering, our perspective shifts. Why do we gather? We gather to invade. This is the war room. We're the ecclesia, the governmental council of God on the earth. We come here to get equipped, to be reminded of what we're here to do, the mission, the mandate. When you walk out of this building, you are supercharged, fired up, ready to tell everybody about Jesus. I was encouraged. I saw the Fire and Fragrance School in Poch. They've just sent teams down to the Western Cape to go and minister. And they put a thing out on all their social media pages saying, we're, we're telling all of our teams, as you're traveling, every time you stop for petrol, for coffee, for lunch, you pray for as many people as you can. And let's see how many people we can get saved on the way to the Western Cape. And suddenly it's lighting up. The Instagram stories are lighting up with testimony after testimony of these guys walking at the petrol station to get petrol. And 40 young people come running to pray for them and people getting healed. And Simple, right? 24-7 church has been in a transition time. And I have kept you hidden to keep you safe. Because the work that I'm doing in you is required for the work that I'm about to do through you. Your gatherings will no longer just be services. They will be in-gatherings for divine outpourings. There will be multiple locations. You'll experience significant favor in the midst of opposition. These in-gatherings will not be led by a system or a routine, but will be led by the direct guidance of the Holy Spirit. And this is going to require a new breed of leaders. These leaders will not be shaped by experience, but they will be of the throne room. 
That's you because you're called to be a leader in the expression that God's releasing in your life. They will be of the throne room. They will not think like leaders of the past century, but they will remodel and reestablish heaven's government on the earth. The fear of the Lord will return to the church. These ingatherings of the church will be marked by presence and power. Truth will be preached with new fire. These will be times of high praise, throne room worship, and refreshing encounters. That's what these gatherings are going to be. And the outpouring is the Spirit-filled sons and daughters of God invading the world. Holy Spirit will fill homes where believers gather and will spill out onto the streets. Heaven's agenda will possess the hearts of men and women in the business sphere and every sphere of society. The marketplace will become the harvest place. Are you hearing me? I don't know. When I read this in my room, these things, I just get wild. I start... I don't know if you heard that. The marketplace will become the harvest place. The marketplace will become the harvest place. Meaning what? Meaning you are the one who's called to make disciples. And when you make disciples, then you bring them into the family to belong. You don't bring them so that you can have the five people that actually are called uh, to equip the saints in the church. And they must make disciples of all three point something billion people. You are a disciple maker. The, the marketplace is becoming the harvest place where we're going to see signs, wonders, miracles, people getting saved, coming into the kingdom. You begin to lead them to Jesus, show them who He is, and then you bring them into the family so that they can come into a place of belonging, a place of equipping, a place of beholding, corporate worship, corporate encounters, and then they get equipped and stirred to go out and do the same. And so what we do is we begin to reproduce heaven on earth. And that's not going to happen because a few people on a Sunday morning put on a good service. It's going to happen because the church awakens to who they are, sons and daughters, and begins to carry the justice and the righteousness of God to the ends of the earth. Ah! Business will become fruitful when they become secondary to the essential purpose of bringing souls to Jesus. God will bless obedience to the commission. God will bless obedience to the commission. God will bless obedience to the commission. Listen to this. Finances are irrelevant to the destiny of the church. Provision always follows obedience. The wildfire of the gospel will spread to individuals, to homes, into the marketplace, out onto the streets, and into new nations. And the deepest and darkest places will become the lightest and brightest. 24-7 church will become an uncontainable wildfire of love lived out and gospel truth in every city to which we are sent. And the fruits of transformation will be eternal. In all of this, 24-7 will and must model humility and honor. When we were in worship this morning, the presence of God came on cell. And I just, I didn't know what the heck was going on. I just knew I needed to just touch her and receive. And then finally she got the picture and she started praying for me. No, I'm joking. Um, but she, she laid hands on me and she started to pray. And instantaneously I began to see a movement being birthed. Something broke inside of me. It was like, it was like fear of lack, fear of not being able to do this, not being good enough, not being qualified, the disappointment, the discouragement, all the stuff that can creep into our lives broke off of me in worship. I felt him just hit me in the gut and he said, I'm going to birth a movement. And then it was Proverbs 3. Again, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Trust in the Lord. He said he's going to birth a movement. And I saw suddenly a church planting movement awakened in this house. 
that the Lord was saying, Con, I need to raise you up like a leader to make sure that you release, not try to contain and control. You're not a lid. We're not a lid. We're here to commission, to send, to release, to, to send people to the places that we can't reach. And that's not just church leaders, but I believe we're going to raise up uh, communities that we send out. And I saw this movement being birthed all across the earth. And it's like, I remember suddenly it all clicked as you were praying for me. Just like, you know how the Lord does that? It's like years and years of different things that He said just lock into place. And I remember two years ago when I began to pray for the Middle East. And I was like, Lord, just send me to the Middle East. Just tell me to go and live there. And He said, no, I need you to stay in Joburg and move from here as a sending city into this region. And then He said something to me, and today it made sense. He said, I want you to birth a new Moravian movement. If you don't know what the Moravian movement is in the 1700s, it was a group of people that never grew more than 300 people. And they devoted themselves to three things. Apostolic community, 24-7 prayer and worship, and a responsibility to take the gospel to the nations. They never grew more than 300 people, but they're responsible for sending over 3,000 missionaries to unreached nations. And I believe the Lord is birthing this. When I say Moravian movement, it's essentially just the bride of Christ. But it made sense to me because the Moravians are a picture of something. And so I realized an apostolic community is a group of people. Apostolic means sent. You bring a, a new culture into a new place. Apostolic community means we don't live according to society and culture around us, but we actually bring the culture of heaven here in Joburg, in our city, in our nation, and to the ends of the earth. And we do it by making friends so we can change the world. Why do we go after 24-7 prayer and worship? Why we started a prayer room that we're trying to extend the hours of? Because we want to be a dwelling place for the glory of God. That people can come in and get filled and encounter Him and go out. That they have a place to pull away from the craziness that they're living and bringing the gospel to. But that they can come and get quiet with Jesus and get filled and get refreshed and behold Him. And take His face and go into the nations. And go into the business spheres and all these different things. And then the last one, that every single person in this movement of God called the Bride of Christ would take responsibility responsibility for the gospel reaching the nations. See, what it means to take responsibility is this. Lord, do I need to go to the 1040 window to preach the gospel? No, son, I've called you to the assignment that you're in. Lord, what do I have in my hand then to send someone else? You've got 150 rand, 150 rand. You've got 5,000 rand, 5,000 rand. You've got 150,000 rand, 150,000 are you with me? You've got 10 rand, 10 rand. But I'm taking responsibility. Till the day he says, you can go. Lord, how long must I go? Do you see the life? Obedience. You can go for the weekend. No, you can go for a year. You can go for, do you know what I'm saying? This is how we live our lives. Will you stand with me? I want to encourage you, if you're not coming tonight, you probably need to come tonight. Just because we, it's Jesus nights. And I want to uh, say one thing to you to make you want to come tonight. First of all, I could just say, well, Jesus is going to be here. Because we called it Jesus night. So if he doesn't show up, then I don't know what we're doing. <laughs> but I also want us to understand, tonight I want to go after a little bit more about what Jesus thinks about the different spheres of society and the things that you might be called to run in. I want to go after that just a little bit more um, tonight, but if my iPad would decide to work. Uh, 
Just one scripture I want to read. Jesus' name work. All right, if you all just want to lay your hands on my iPad and just pray that this thing actually... <laughs> anyway, let's see. I'm looking for... You have a New King James, Ebra. Can you get me Luke chapter 10 in the New King James? Um, just, yeah, two seconds. I promise you we're done. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Thank you, bro. Your... This, uh, the New King James translation just says this so beautifully. It's Luke chapter 10, and it's when Jesus is about to send the 72 out. And he says this, After these things the Lord appointed 70 others also, and sent them two by two before his face into every city and place where he himself was about to go. Listen to that again. He appointed 70 others and sent them two by two before his face into every city and place where he himself was about to go. What we want to go after tonight is what does it look like to be a people? Like my mom said months and months ago, our occupation is the face of God. See, when I learn to behold Him, then suddenly I am imprinted with His face. And then He can send me out into every place where His face is about to go. Why is it about to go? Because I'm a carrier of His face. I am bringing the person of Jesus into these places. So He sends us out where He's about to go because He's in you now. That might be in your sphere of influence or to the nations, but that's what he's going to do. And so, Father, I pray for every person in this room. I know I've gone on a little bit longer, but who cares? Jesus, you're awesome, and we love you, and we exalt you, and we honor you. And I thank you today that every single person would find value in the assignment that you've given them, but they would not find their identity there, that their identity is in Jesus. And that today I speak clarity over every heart. I speak an open heaven over every heart to receive now the word of the Lord, to obey what you've called them to do for the purposes of your dream, Lord, that we're alive for the dream of God, that we live to serve your dream. And so I thank you, Lord, that there will be those that are called to that priesthood type ministry in the local church, but there will be many, many, many that are called as missionaries sent ones into different spheres of society and into the nations. And I commission them today, and I give them permission to be amazing doctors and physios and occupational therapists and dietitians and, and, and all these different things, Lord, in the medical sphere and teachers and, and businessmen and women and everything, Lord, every sphere. I give them permission to run with the fire of the gospel, to be radical believers in their spheres. And I thank you that today you would teach us, Lord, how to steward our hearts how to make sure, Lord Jesus, that we not just know the vision, but we carry it well. We carry it well. And so thank you, Holy Spirit, that we would trust in the Lord with all our hearts, that we will not lean on our own understanding, that in all our ways we'll submit to you, Lord. We'll give it to you, and you will make our path straight. Lord, I bless every person in this room. I release the fire of the Holy Spirit. I bless them. I thank you, Jesus, that you administer to their hearts, that you would bring vision, clarity, and direction. And Lord, that we would have the grace of the Holy Spirit upon our lives to obey you and to follow you. In Jesus' name. Lord, we glorify you. Just do that in your heart. Just love him. Just glorify him. Exalt him. We give you our lives. We give you our yes. It's more than a song. It's more than a prayer. It's our everything. You're our reason for existence. We bless you, Lord God. Thank you for family. Thank you for the church. Thank you for what you're doing. Let your kingdom come. Let your will be done 
on earth as it is in heaven. In the mighty name of Jesus, amen. Come on. Thank you, Lord. Bless you.